Hey everybody, what's going on? Bobby Watts here with another edition of the High Voltage Podcast. Uh, Doing a lot of drone talk recently because it's what I'm in full time. Uh, Eventually we'll get to some other topics, um, you know, back to some more uh, interviews about some things not necessarily drone related. But um, today I did want to um, repost an interview that I recently just did with Paul from DroneU, which was a huge honor, by the way. I mean, DroneU, if you aren't aware of them, uh, they're one of the biggest drone podcasts out there. I mean, literally, if you just go to like uh, Apple Podcasts and type in drone, they're the first ones that pop up. And uh, Paul and Vic and all the other guys at DroneU are just absolutely great. So great for the community. So it was was just an absolute honor to do an, uh, an, an interview with him. Um, This time we are talking once again about FAA Remote ID, which if you haven't heard about it yet, it's basically a set of rules and regulations that the FAA is proposing. They're asking for comments uh, up until the end of February 2020. So if you're listening to this now, and I believe it's like March 2nd or March 3rd is the end of the commenting period. Um, So if you're listening to this now and this uh, uh, motivates you to go write a comment, we absolutely suggest it. Um, these aren't these rules. These proposed rules are not set in stone yet, so there's still time. So um, you, you can you can find all sorts of information. I'll, I'll try to link it in the notes here on the podcast. But basically, if you just Google FAA Remote ID, um, you'll see a, a, a very easy link there. Um, just go and put your comment in, tell your story. Um, so in here, Paul and I discussed perhaps what would happen to uh, the industry, what would happen to me specifically uh, as a small UAV manufacturer if these remote ID rules were to come into play. Um, and then this kind of piggybacks off the conversation I had with Kenji Sugahara a few weeks ago about remote ID. Uh, that was a previous podcast we put out as well. Um, so without any further ado, here is the interview that I had with Paul. Hope you guys enjoy. If you like this kind of content, um, definitely head over to DroneU. This is a, they got so much content. They do like a podcast every single day. Um, and as far as my side, if you could please subscribe, send me a little rating, you know, on iTunes right there, you can leave a little review. That would be amazing. So incredible. Would very much appreciate it. So this is the interview that I had with Paul from DroneU. Check it out. This is High Voltage with Bobby Watts. Hey everyone and welcome to another awesome episode of Ask Drone You. Today our topic is again about remote ID but from a very different perspective. Yes, we know remote ID hurts well the commercial operators and it really kills the hobby of flying drones. But one other piece that I don't think very few people are thinking about is how the proposed remote ID rules will actually affect manufacturers. As so many FPV pilots are building their own drones to fly, race, and even film with Cinewhoop, it has a lot of people thinking, how would remote ID hurt or help those people? But what a lot of people don't think about is, what about the drones that are non-DJI? What about the drones that are made here in the United States and drones that serve very real purposes, such as industrial services, or even as industrial as the movie business. Well, that's why we have Mr. Bobby Watts on the show today. He is one of the owners of Watts Innovation. Frankly, he's someone that really excites me about this industry, not just because of his views on remote ID, but because he is a manufacturer. He is one of the guys you probably have not heard of because everyone in the movie industry likes to keep their suppliers hush-hush, but I'm here to tell everyone that he's building the best drones for the Netflix world. Welcome to the show, my friend. 
Glenn. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate it. What a nice intro, man. I, it's going to be a hard one to follow. <laughs> Don't worry about that. You really are building some phenomenal aircraft, and I've actually even seen one of them uh, here in New Mexico. I was on a Netflix set just last week filming myself, and I saw one of your birds in another set department, and I just thought to myself, see, the proof huh. is in the pudding, man. Like, your, your birds are getting out there. It was an L.A.-based crew, by the way. Ah, okay. I mean, I guess that's a good thing to where, like, I used to know every single flight that would happen with every single machine we sold. But I guess that's really good where, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, I saw your machine on some movie set and I didn't know about it. So, like, I'll take that. That that's a That's a compliment. Thank you. You're welcome. So for those people who may not be familiar with you and the heavy lift birds that you build, can you give us a quick little intro as far as uh, where you've come with Watts Innovation and uh, how or what uh, need that you're serving so well? Um, absolutely. So um, just super quick backstory. So um, I've been messing and, and playing and designing um, unmanned aircraft since 2003. Uh, it's when I got started with RC helicopters as like a teenager with braces and my mom had to drive me to the field. So like that's how I got my start. Um, became pretty proficient at flying uh, 3D helicopters and was a demo pilot and sponsored pilot for Futaba and OS engines and a bunch of different helicopter companies. So I went from that to flying um, uh, RC helis for the movie world at that time. So I guess it was around 2009, 2010. So we did some shoots with RC helis and then that kind of morphed into drones, filming with drones and then designing drones. So in 2016, 2017, I believe I started Watts Innovations and um, that allows us to what we do is now is we make aircraft uh, that professional drone operators uh, utilize for uh, services. So whether that's uh, cinematography, LIDAR scanning, infrastructure inspections, cargo hauling and a bunch of random other cool applications. Uh, so that's that's what we do. And uh, our aircraft that we've been offering for the last two years is, uh, we call it the MFD 5000. And it's basically, it's if you've never seen it before, it's basically like a larger DJI Matrice 600. Um, and it's just awesome. It's, it's uh, we generate a, almost like 180 pounds of thrust on it, and we can lift a payload of up to about around 40 pounds. And it's just been just a killer in, especially the movie industry. It's been really nice, but our, our ladder guys are loving it. And um, yeah, just completely blown away by the reception we got from it. Well, I think also one of the one of the pieces that you absolutely nailed um, is your battery management system. And I think that's so you have a professional battery management system that I don't think any of these other cinematography birds. I know the XM2 is big, and I know uh, the Z Fold was big for a while uh, in California. But there's always been battery management problems, and I think that that's one thing that you've really solved. And I'll just say, you know, 40 pounds of payload may sound like a whole lot to you guys, but if you're not on set, um, I would love to see the look on your face when you, you go out there like I did with an M600, and they're like, oh yeah, the camera is eight pounds. And I'm like, yes, my MX can hold nine or 10, we're good. <laughs> and then you see the 10 pound lens and you go, oh no. So um, I think- Yeah, it, we get calls for the, we get calls where it's like, oh, the M600 is tapped out, what, what can we do? Um, so, so it's cool. And then as far as the battery, uh, management system, 
basically all, it, it came from the helicopter world because in the heli world, we would just keep like flight packs together. So if we were running like two 6S 5000s together as a 12S pack, like stick pack, we would just attach them to a plate. And then for our aircraft, since we're running redundancy, 12S 2P, it requires four 6S batteries. So instead of you know, individually strapping on four batteries every flight, it just slides in as, as you, you treat it as one big pack. And it just makes it, it just makes it nicer for charging, for logging, for uh, transport, uh, for hot swaps. It, it just makes it real easy. But also for perception from directors as well. Uh, good, <laughs> I, I, good, good. It's, you know, it's one of those things. But okay, you said, you know, you were in the RC heli world since about 03. Um, yes. And oh, I think 03 is the, this was my freshman year of high school, just thinking about how far back that was. But as far as remote ID, the proposed rules, I know you talked with Kenji a little bit. And, you know, here at Drone U, I would say that, you know, we kind of lead the charge with we're like very anti-remote ID. We're anti-internet connected drones. We're anti, uh, you know, kind of killing the hobby as well as commercial uh, purposes. But for you as a hobbyist, aside from Watts Innovation, which we'll get to here in a minute, what is this going to do for your propensity to go out to the local field and just go, you know, do a little nice 3D rip? Oh, man. Um, in the words of our good friend Kenji, uh, the hobbyist got screwed. I had I had him on my podcast and YouTube channel because I, I don't know. I, I, I design and I build and I fly things. I don't know regulations. It's not my forte. So I asked him. And based on what he's telling me and what I'm hearing from others, I think it's really bad for the hobby. I just think it's it's going to cause such an unnecessary amount of headache, especially for those flying at a AMA sanctioned field, which has already kind of gone through some sort of process to, um, be, you know, be, be in an area where it's safe for modelers to fly. And I think if we make the hobby harder for people to get into, then less people such as perhaps you or myself would get into it. And then this would not be happening. Um, so I, I think they just took it too far for the hobbyists. I, I, I really do. I, I think it's just an unnecessary burden. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're a hobbyist, and uh, again, I hate the internet-connected uh, mandate with remote ID. I think that, one, it breaks privacy law. Two, you're going to be tracking kids now. What about the little kids that are out there? They fly these STEM drones, and if their school is not in a FRIA, a federally accepted identification area or whatever, they're not going to be able to fly. So what does it do for education You know, as a whole? You, know, you brought up a good point, right? Typically, you go out to an AMA field and mm -hmm. you go fly. But with these proposed rules, most AMA fields would not probably meet the qualifications to become a FRIA. And, you know, all the fields that we're used to flying in, some of them may not actually uh, even be allowed to become FRIAs. So the hobbyists not only got screwed, but I'm just also thinking about the future of flight in general. Yeah, it's it's pretty... It's pretty gnarly how they wrote it right now. I, I think what Kenji proposed that I liked, I mean, I'm not totally anti-remote ID because like I'm realistic in understanding that if if we want drones to provide this utility in terms of cargo hauling, package delivery, medical supplies, all the good things we can think of drones doing, it's going to require a step along the lines of remote ID. So like I'm not 100% against it, but I think that what they came out with was just a, a very aggressive leap forward. 
So what I liked what Kenji suggested was perhaps instead of having your aircraft always broadcasting its location, you know, if you're flying within line of sight, what if you just drew a little dot on the map and say, hey, I'm flying an unmanned aircraft here? Like, okay, that could be a little bit easier. But as far as like the AMA fields, I feel like they should just get a pass once it's established, once the FAA works with the AMA, I don't know how that works, but I feel like the AMA field should just get basically like a pass. Like here's your window. Here's the window that the AMA field is going to take up. And if you're a drone or a uh, whatever type of aircraft, you're just going to stay away from it. So I, I think if they were to do that, that would ease up a lot of tensions. I, I think because the, the AMA fields really do serve a purpose. Um, it's not going to fix everything, but I think that that would help ease up a lot, a lot of this. Do you think it would ease up a lot of this if we just left the airspace as is, where hobbyists and AMA uh, RC modelers could still have open rights to fly um, in Class G airspace? I do. Um, I do, but I'm, I'm beginning to see some things on like YouTube, like some flights that people are posting where it's a really broad, it, it's a, it's a mix between is this hobby or is this like breaking laws and, and, and creating problems because it's only a matter of time before, you know, I, I, I worry as an aircraft manufacturer to where we're, we're manufacturing aircrafts that can fly at like 75 pounds all up weight. I mean, I get, I get a little concerned that if someone, you know, goes, goes outside of what's legal and, and, and a responsible uh, flight envelope, then that's going to come back on us. I mean, it's a, it's a matter of time. So, you know, like I, I saw a, a video on YouTube the other day where a guy in Hawaii was flying the parrot. Um, what's the plane? Like, a, a, uh, I, I don't know. It's some, some autonomous plane. Uh, the EB? And he buy, talking about the EB? The yeah, yellow I, and black I, I think one? It's a, yeah, EB. So he buys a $40 Huawei 4G LTE connector plugs it in the plane and like sends it from one island to another. And he's flying it, I don't know, a few hundred feet um, uh, AGL and just sends it. It's like a 25 minute um, autonomous trip back and forth. And I'm thinking to myself and, and the scary part, the scary part to me is that like, like I love having fun and doing crazy stuff. Like, believe me, I love doing this. Like we've shot helicopters out of boxes before and blade stops and cra crazy things. But the scary thing to me is that the, the reception from all the YouTube comments is, dude, that's so cool. I can't wait to do that with mine. So I think the problem is that it is so cool and so appetizing that my concern is that what he may think is just like a recreational hobby flight eventually could lead to a point where let's imagine that's a bigger aircraft. Let's imagine that there's a tourist helicopter, you know, they're sightseeing the volcanoes and then it becomes a problem. So that's why the conservative side of me says, like, I think some sort of remote ID is a good idea, but I feel like this is a giant step forward for right now. But I think we eventually need to ease into to, to something. But going back to it, having these big zones like an AMA field where someone can go fly, I think that that should be protected and valued and a school should be able to sign up for that or something like that. Like, I think that that's important. Well, I mean, and then, you know, before we get to the manufacturer requirements of remote ID and the effect that that would have on you, it makes me ask the question of the hypothetical question that we just asked prior to this. Is that really even possible with the proposed remote ID? Would they even be able to build um, STEM drones that would be remote ID compliant based off of the manufacturing standards that the FAA has put out there? But before we get there, before we get there, I have mm -hmm. a question for you. So very good example, by the way, of someone just doing a beyond visual line of sight flight between the Hawaiian islands. 
yes, it's cool. It makes me wonder, is this happening and will continue to happen because of a lack of enforcement slash education? That's one question I have, but in continuing the train of thought, I have a question as far as, you know, I agree with you that to some extent that we need remote ID for these drone delivery, uh, you know, kind of jobs. But I just asked the question of should drone delivery be prioritized over everyone else who's been flying safely for decades? Uh, and for as far as drones are concerned, only one decade. But do you think that there's some way that we could create a remote ID for those drones that service delivery that service these bigger applications that are pretty much beyond visual line of sight meaning can't we have a remote id for them that's separate from a remote id for pilots because i see those operations as so unique and so specified sure those drones can should be internet connected sure they should be talking to a network but a drone pilot flying one of these or flying one of your birds on set uh, number one, under proposed remote ID rules, I'm not sure that I would be able to meet the requirements of, let's say, Netflix when filming to have a secure connection, meaning that the information isn't being shared. Like, uh, So with internet-connected drones, back to the question, do you hmm. see a remote ID system that works that allows for pilots to do their thing and for drone delivery? Hmm. You might have me stumped on that one. I think that that I think what we're going to see is over time, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot more of a blend of piloted and autonomous flight. Yeah. Um, it was only it was only 10 years ago on my on my first cinema rig. We, we were filming for National Geographic and that was a RC helicopter with a, I think we had a fly bar even still. No, we were fly barless. So like we had a flight controller that just got rid of the fly bar, but no self-stabilization, not even a roll axis gimbal. So like nothing. It was only 10 years ago to where we had that. And now here in 2020, I can, with a DJI system or PicTalk system or whatever, I mean, we can draw, um, we can do so many things, waypoints, smart follow, uh, active track, light shows, whatever. Exactly. Light shows. I think what the concern is from their part and what my concern would be is that I'm not so concerned about where we are now, but I'm a little bit more concerned about what happens in three years, what happens in five years and 10 years, because I think they're, they're trying to roll this out in three years, um, remote ID. So my fear would be that by the time this comes out in three years, is that especially DJI, because they are just so incredibly good at making products. They're like Apple. Like they know what you need before you need it yourself, before you even know what you need yourself. So my only fear with allowing the attitude of, oh, let, let, let's let the RC pilot, let's, let, let's just let the pilots kind of stick to their side and then all the autonomous stuff will stick to this side. I think the problem with that is that that gap is, is, is coming together so quickly. And so yes, like the RC enthusiast, the hobbyist side of me says, screw it. We're not registering anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not telling the man anything where I am, but I do believe that in three to five years with the next DJI or whatever it is, Phantom that you buy from uh, their website for 300 bucks to a thousand dollars, it's going to be able to do some pretty crazy things. Um, maybe not three years, but five years, 10 years that I feel like Unfortunately, I feel like the FAA is right in this point where everyone has to be grouped together. But going back to it, I feel like if it were to just the same way that now, if you have a job, so like let's say if you wanted to go um, do a real estate 
I don't know, you go take real estate photos for a, a house, like, you know, a house in suburbia. The same way that you would go to AirMap or Kitty Hawk or whatever and basically just request access to fly if you needed a, a quick waiver to, to fly in Class C airspace or something like that. I feel like this could be the same thing. You just kind of drop your pin and here's your operating zone. Here's your bubble. I feel like if it can be treated in bubbles, more or less, I feel like that could be a better alternative rather than like tracking every single move. I feel like that gets a little ridiculous. I do agree with you on that point. Yeah, well, I also have issues about tracking people. Like, I don't want the public to know where I'm flying from. In addition, uh, what about when... uh... Well, I don't think the public should have that. I feel like the public should not be able to see that. But the other drone operators and the... Amazons or the Red Cross who want to have, you know, autonomous defibrillators flying around. I feel like that should be able to be seen kind of like ADSB now. Um, I guess you could always pull up ADSB, um, but I, I feel like maybe a mix of not quite sure how the system would have to work, but I do agree with you. I don't think they should be able to see your like your every move and exactly where you, where you are. But the other pilots and stuff, I feel like that I feel like it's going to have to get there eventually. Like, it's going to have to. I agree. I just don't think that we should punish the whole industry that's proven to have a great safety record just for the benefit of some delivery drones. That's all. Um, yeah. But let's uh, let's move on because remote ID would affect you in a whole other way that we're not even talking about. As yeah. far as manufacturer <laughs> certifications with the proposed remote ID rule, what would this do to your business? Um, well... As Kenji and I spoke, it would basically require us to fill out a lot more, a lot more paperwork, uh, a lot more testing, legal fees. I, I think he rounded it in the 50k, 50,000 bucks, anywhere between like 18 to 50,000 dollars once it's all said and done, uh, for us to be kind of approved as a manufacturer. For us, I feel like I'm just lucky because I'm just squeaking in here. You know, we've only been in business for a few years, but we're just kind of squeaking in at, at the tail end of this to where we have enough momentum going to where we should be able to absorb that cost and keep moving. But if it's if if it were to have came out three years ago and I was thinking about going into the drone manufacturing business, I would not. Um, so that's that that's I'm not so worried about me per se, because I feel like companies like us where we're selling a premium quality drone, I feel like we can kind of absorb this cost. I'm more worried about the guys who, you know, as you mentioned, like the guys flying like a Cine Whoop um, like a GoPro, um, you know, cinema type FPV quad under the rules. I have no idea how they're like, they're not going to pay $18,000 to. So, so that I disagree with. I, I don't like that, but there, there's gotta be, let me ask you a question really quick. Something. Let me interrupt you really fast. Yeah, um, yeah. do you think that your business will still survive given this, right? Mm-hmm. Most film sets um, you have to have some security in your footage, right? Your footage just can't go everywhere. You know that. And you know how mm-hmm. film sets are super secure about their downlinking, but nowhere near as secure as people working in, let's say, oil and gas. Let's talk about power line inspection. Let's talk about working in secure facilities. So like critical infrastructure. So railroads, dams, depending on mm-hmm. the communications network, a huge communications hub, a huge power hub. I just filmed a couple of podcasts right before this um, talking about one particular business, and I can't mention the name of the company, huge oil company um, that would no longer, uh, and they have about 350 pilots, and they mm-hmm. all fly M210s, M600s, and, and kind of your stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They would have to kill the whole program. 
because if it was a necessity for an internet connected device when they're working in critical infrastructure areas, that simply is not allowed. So it makes me wonder, you know, with the security of those places, with the security of some sets, and I know you know this, not every set is like this, but with the security of some sets, do you think you're going to have as many customers buying aircraft from you? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great point you brought up. I I have not personally considered that one. Um, The fact that if you have to stay connected to the internet, comply with the to, to comply with the FAA, but yet you can't be connected to the internet to do this inspection. Um, I feel like I will just get the residuals of that, and I'll just let the service provider and their client kind of duke that out. Usually, we just usually we just kind of. I, I hate to say it, I'm not in control of that. So like. No, I know. I'm just asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just asking. I mean, how much will it affect your business? Because look, the remote ID is essentially a license plate system in the sky, right? I drive a car. I know you have a car. Uh, You have a license plate on it, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not connected to the internet. It's not autonomously giving you tickets when you go six miles an hour over the speed limit every day. You know what I'm saying? It's also not broadcasting your location to a public database. Yeah, so, that's the biggest problem. I disagree with that one. I, I think the public database one is 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 difficult. Um, but knowing the FAA, if I had to guess, I I, I wonder if they'll make a waiver um, to allow you like one oh seven point whatever, where it allow you to fly without broadcasting. But how long will that take to create that exemption oh, and oh, then for, a system oh, within that exemption? Oh. And then how many people lost their jobs and drone programs were killed because so, of it? Right. But that's the thing. I feel like what we do have on our side is the momentum of the last few years to where I know like literally this morning I, I, I heard from a friend of mine that his father's um, uh, electricity, his, his power company is now starting a 107 program. And his dad was kind of part of the IT program, but now he's got his 107. Now he's flying drones for the internal program. So if the FAA starts stepping on the toes of, um, you know, these big companies who, who've now invested this time and effort and resources and training pilots, then I feel like I, I, I feel like at least we've got like some footing to stand on there. Um, I, I feel like we wouldn't just get pushed over immediately. Well, I would hope that you're right, frankly. I'm just concerned because it seems like most corporations and companies need two months to just have enough meetings to say, this is what we're going to say on this issue. <laughs> and yeah, I think the FAA yeah. is playing on that. And that's, I mean, they dropped this, you know, what was it, December 26th? Uh, and then yeah, it's the right final. After Christmas. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, while I agree with you, I also think that a lot of these program managers are so undereducated on drones. And again, they haven't had the experiences that people like you and I have had that. I, yeah, it's difficult. I, it is. Yeah, it, it's 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 really tricky. It's really tricky. I I have faith that I, I mean, I don't think the FAA just wants to be the the bully and just pick on us and tell us what to do. Like, I, I think I, they're I being think bullied. Like, I think they are. I think by uh, DHS is what I'm told. Like Department of Homeland Security is just really beating them on this. I guess rightfully so, because the 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 hypotheticals are really scary. But in practice, knock on wood, we're not but, seeing but, that. But fire is scary too, right? It can burn down your house. Oh, uh, absolutely. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I'm just I'm just saying what I'm observing. What I'm observing. No, I understand. Um, but I I think for us, we're just going to keep pushing forward. Um, 
I just kind of have faith that there's enough of a community and they're there, you know, like back in 2012 or something when I went to my first AUVSI kind of drone convention. Okay. Okay. Back in yeah 2012, we went and shot a movie. It was called Max. It's about a dog. And we were, this was before like anything. This was before the 333 program is anything. I, I guess it was 2012, but it was before 333 and we were filming um, you know, flying like $60,000 red Epic cameras on a RC helicopter at the time. And we just transitioned to a drone. You got and, balls of steel, man. <laughs> absolutely. And so literally we're, 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 they hired us. We traveled from Florida to like the woods of North Carolina and we've, we've assembled, we brought a crew of like three or four of us and like batteries are plugged in. We're ready to go. And this is before there's law. So it's not legal. It's not illegal. It's like a big question mark. And I think it was a, a universal movie and literally like the assistant director gets a message over the walkie talkie, like I'm just about to cross the sticks. And they're like, oh, oh no, 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 drone, you guys aren't going up. We're really sorry. But if you guys go up, the whole production's shutting down. Everyone's fired. You guys cannot fly. We will pay you for the day. We'll pay you for your travel and everything. But you cannot fly. It just came in from the studio. So like I've been around in the time where drones were a big question mark, where there was no rules and there was nothing. So I just have faith that there's so many great programs out there like yours, um, you know, like so many great champions of of flying responsibly and part 107 and everything. So, you know, Vic and Kenji, just some really smart guys making great content out there. And I feel like there's so many programs that rely on this now and people who rely on this for to put food on the table like you and I do. So I feel like there's so many of us that I don't think we're just going to get pushed to the side. I just have faith that it'll uh, resolve itself in a way in which at least we can continue on with business. Maybe not the best scenario, but I think we'll be, at least be able to continue on. For sure. And, and you know, I have faith that things will work, uh, shake out as well. And I hope that the FAA takes a lot of these comments and goes back to DHS and say, see, we told you you're murdering an industry. And yeah. there are ways to view who's flying in the sky. We can do yes. broadcast only. It's very simple. It's already in 90% of the consumer drones. And it's right. in about 30% of the FPV drones because I don't think the FPV racers realize that DJI FPV is broadcasting remote ID on their drones right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I, I think it's doable. Like, I, I really think it's doable. So we'll see what they say. But I think it's super important that everyone who sees this does submit a comment. So... You know, as long as people submit and there's a lot of good ones. I, I've been reading through them. There, there's some hateful ones <laughs> where <laughs> people are just going off. It's like, that's not going to help. But I, I think there's some good ones. There, there really are. So, you know, we'll see how it shakes up. But for us, you know, our, we're just going to keep keep moving on business as usual. And whatever regulations come out, at least we're all playing by the same rules. Do you? Um, so let me ask how, you this. So I have I have faith like you that that no matter what, uh, I think we're going to be OK but I'm hearing a lot of people saying if the FAA doesn't listen to what the industry is kind of saying to it, that really mimic the ARC recommendations, that the level of compliance will just drop to almost, you know, zero. Do you see something like that happening? Yes, very much so. Like, there's too many people who've put in too much money. It's how they make a living. Um, there's too many in the movies. There's too many directors now who rely on drones infrastructure inspections it's too many power companies who found out that drones are 10 times more economic than any other means of inspection so like i think they're uh it, it's gone too far to stop you know what i mean like it, it it's reached critical mass to the point where it could keep going 
So I would hate to see that. I think that would be really bad. I do too. Because then you're, it's going to be the Wild West. But I would love to see something to where we can at least begin some sort of compliance, you know? Yeah, That'd I agree. Good. I agree. Hey, Bobby, where can we learn more about the birds and aircraft that you make? Because, like, I don't, I, I, I know it's kind of gone, uh, um, not necessarily a negative tone, but kind of a depressing tone about the future of the industry. But for those people who really want to get in with the film industry and fly these heavy, um, reliable, um, heavy drones, and also for all of my friends out there doing um, work in the DOD space, his drones uh, do come with uh, flight controllers that are non-Chinese made. So if you want to check those out. But Bobby, where can we learn more about the aircraft that you built and the reputation that's come along with them? Absolutely. Yeah. And sorry for the depressing tone, as you said. Jeez. I think it's me, if anything. Don't worry about it, man. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'd I'd be happy to come back and chat on a more uplifting tone. Um, But yeah, so my website, Watts Innovations with an S dot com. Um, And I'm on all the social channels trying to make a bunch of content. Um, So you can just check that anytime. And yeah, as you mentioned, we make aircraft that are um, basically both uh, DJI. We offer DJI or Pixhawk flight controllers and serve many different industries and possibly some pretty exciting things coming in the next few months. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry really if I asked you a question that you weren't expecting as well, because it no, seems like, no, no, no. you know, the whole, well, how is this going to affect people buying your drones? You, it seemed like you were kind of like, oh, man, uh, hmm, haven't really delved into that one well, yet. I think I kind of look at that as like, um, I look at that the same way as when a new camera comes out, I don't go buy it. I wait for my, I wait for the end customer to request that type of footage from my customer, and then we figure out how to fly it. So it'd be the same thing. So if FAA comes out with whatever rule that the service provider has to, to abide by, then the service provider and the end customer figure out how to how they can make that work in their infrastructure. And then on the tech side, we just help them do that. So it's kind of backwards. I, I wish it were the other way where we're like, yes, this is exactly what happens. But usually, I hate to say it, but at the size that we are right now, we're more of a response and how can we aid and how can we help these guys? So... Yeah, that's where we're that's where we're at. Makes sense. So should I ask you what's the newest big camera uh raising up in the in the cinematography world? Um I really don't know. I I uh there's a lot more people um in cinematography. I mean, it's just the two main ones, the Airy Mini, Airy Alexa Mini, and then the Red Line Mostro or whatever. That's that's a, new, a, a smaller one coming out, but uh, like the Red Dragon and Weapon, and there's so many of them. I, I can't even keep them straight. I just go by the gimbal. Like we can fly a Ronin 2 gimbal or we can fly a Movi Pro gimbal. That's kind of how I look because the cameras change all the time. So, but but I am seeing a big resurgence in film. We are our guys are starting to fly a lot of film cameras, like pan like Panavision cameras. Yep. yep. Really. Yep. So. So like um like the, like literally where it's like okay and roll camera like you, know, you, hear the, you hear the film going in there um so yeah it, it's uh that's pretty cool that's that's pretty cool to see we we've shot some film in the past and that's that's wild and they're heavy they're super heavy too so it gets it gets pretty fun I can't imagine what it would be like to fly such a heavy camera like that because it's affecting the CG so much so. it's like it's like driving a bus so like your Phantom's more like a Toyota Camry. 
an FPV racer is more like a, you know, like a race car of some sort. I look at our, our MFD fully loaded. It's, it's like a bus. Like it, it'll get there. You just got to you have all that mass. You just have to kind of ease in and ease out of it. But it'll still boogie like it'll still move. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you, Bobby, for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you so much. Great chatting with you. Hey, thank you. Well, everyone, yeah. hope you learned something new from that. Hope you decided maybe it's time to go comment or write another comment. Write 10 comments. I don't care. The thing is, is that these proposed remote ID rules are affecting everyone in different ways. And how much it'll affect us is honestly unknown because there are so many unknown unknowns. But I think the consensus is clear. It is going to hurt a lot of people. So go out there, get your comments and make sure you leave us a review or subscribe wherever you download the show. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you again for watching another episode of Ask Drone You.